This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is not your century. This is not your century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. Who killed the Lindbergh baby? A desperate search for Charles Lindbergh Jr. had gripped the nation for 10 weeks. The 20-month-old toddler had disappeared in Hopewell, New Jersey on March 1, 1932. He was discovered missing from the home of the famous aviator Charles Lindbergh and his wife, Anne Morrow Lindbergh. A ransom note was left behind on the windowsill demanding $50,000. A ladder was leaned up against his second-floor window. At the time, it was considered the crime of the century. The journalist H.L. Mencken called it the biggest story since the resurrection. The search for little Lindy had ended on May 12th when a pair of truck drivers pulled off the road about five miles south of the Lindbergh estate for a bathroom break in the woods. One of them discovered the body of the little boy. He'd been killed by a blow to the head. The headline of the San Francisco Chronicle on May 14, 1932 screamed, Lindy Tot Killers Named. It wasn't really true. A lot of people were named in the accompanying story, some of them suspicious, but no one was putting forward any firm ideas about who stole the baby from his crib back on March 1st and who killed him. Some of the characters involved in the Lindbergh kidnapping story were suspicious because, well, they were suspicious characters. After Charles Jr. disappeared and the ransom note was found, Lindbergh, a colonel in the Army Air Corps Reserve, enlisted the help of other high-ranking military men. And together they decided that the crime was the work of New York underworld figures. So they got in touch with a mobster named Mickey Rosner, and in turn he recruited a pair of bootleggers and tough guys to act as go-betweens with the kidnappers. They were named Irving Bitts and Salvatore Spitali. Bits was rumored to have killed Legs Diamond in 1931. He would eventually meet the same end as the Lindbergh baby, kidnapped, with a ransom demand left behind, and then found dead, in his case on a beach in Staten Island. But that was a half century in the future. After the body was found, the New Jersey State Police and the Bureau of Investigation, forerunner of the FBI, were very interested in all three of these men, Rosner, Bits, and Spitali. The ransom, set at $50,000 in the original note, had been raised to $70,000 in a series of letters, all mailed from Brooklyn, and all with distinctive identifying blue and red marks to prove their legitimacy. The cops thought the mobsters who'd been brought in as intermediaries might have been the kidnappers. At one point, the ransom was paid. Another shady character delivered it. His name was John Condon. He was a retired schoolteacher from the Bronx, and he claimed to have received a letter from the kidnappers authorizing him to be the go-between. Communicating via classified advertisements in the newspapers, Condon eventually brought $50,000 to a meeting with the kidnappers at a cemetery in the Bronx. He tossed the box of money over a short wall and talked to the kidnapper, 
who he said had a German accent, but he said he never saw a face. The cops thought John Condon might have been in on it too. One of those cops, by the way, was the superintendent of the New Jersey State Police, H. Norman Schwarzkopf. If that name sounds familiar to you, you're probably thinking of his son, General Norman Schwarzkopf, who was the commander of the coalition forces in the Gulf War. The intrigue around the Lindbergh baby's kidnapping and murder was spectacular. There was talk that the crime was a ploy to divert the attention of police and maritime authorities in Virginia. There was a whole subplot involving the kidnappers possibly hiding Charles Jr. on a boat off of Norfolk. Law enforcement's focus on the kidnapping would make it easier to smuggle whiskey into port. Prohibition was still going on. In the end, the $50,000 ransom that was paid in the Bronx Cemetery led to the arrest of the killer. Authorities had included gold certificates which were about to be withdrawn from circulation, so they had to be turned in. Anyone trying to turn in a lot of them would draw suspicion. They also traced the serial numbers of the bills that were included, and eventually, a pattern emerged. The bills were being spent along the Lexington Avenue subway line. A scribbled license plate number led police to a German immigrant named Bruno Hauptmann, who lived in the Bronx near the Lexington Avenue subway line. He was arrested in September of 1934. About $14,000 of the ransom money was found in his garage. There were also pieces of wood that matched the homemade ladder that had been used to reach baby Lindy's second floor window. Bruno Hauptmann had stowed away on a ship crossing the Atlantic in the early 1920s. He was in the country illegally. There were calls to crack down on illegal immigration. He always maintained his innocence, but he was convicted and sentenced to death and executed in April 1936. As with any famous crime, a whole industry of conspiracy theories grew up around the Lindbergh kidnapping. That Hauptmann was innocent, framed by the cops, by J. Edgar Hoover and the fledgling FBI, by Lindbergh himself. Hauptmann's wife, Anna, fought to clear his name until the day she died, in 1994. You can find websites about these still active theories of the case, but no real evidence. Not Your Century is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like this show, we'd love it if you'd give it a rating and a review. For great journalism today, consider subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle, which you can do in both paper and digital form by going to sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Historical research by Libby Coleman. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your century.